Our Father, we've read about the greatness of our Savior. We have sung about the greatness of our Savior. We have prayed to you and the Savior by the Spirit, entrusting ourselves to you, offering to you our worship and your exalted nature. And so we ask now, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us in this word. You have revealed yourself. Would you make yourself particularly to be known to us individually by this word? And would you change us by this word and give us hope in this word? We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our glorious, magnificent Savior. Amen. When we are afraid, we are tempted to do things that that seem rational at the moment, but in retrospect are highly irrational. Consider the stories of these three folks who had particular fears of bugs and spiders. A man in England was filling up his gas tank at the gas station when he noticed a spider next to the gas cap on his car where he was filling up with gasoline. And he decided in that moment that the best way to rid himself of the spider was to ignite him with his cigarette lighter. Yep, he lit the lighter, and you can actually see a video of this. It's quite entertaining. He lit the lighter right next to the gas tank, and of course the vapors caught the cigarette lighter's flame quickly and engulfed the entire gasoline nozzle, the floor or the the cement on which the gasoline was dripping and began to engulf as well the gasoline pump. It is in that moment of irrationality that the man had had a modicum of rationality and he ran for a fire extinguisher and extinguished the flame while an attendant was shutting off the gasoline flow to the pump and nothing worse happened. Then there's the story of Scott Kemery. Scott was in Long Island, New York a number of years ago when he rented a vehicle. And after renting the vehicle and driving off the property, he determined and found that that the upholstery in the car had bed bugs. And not wanting to drive the car with bed bugs, he had heard that the best way to get rid of bed bugs is to apply rubbing alcohol to them. So that's what he did. He applied rubbing alcohol to the interior of the automobile. And then he got in the automobile and lit a cigarette. Yep, cigarette, rubbing alcohol, flames. He torched his car to other cars that were alongside his car and suffered second-degree burns himself. And topping both of those stories is the story of the man in in West Seattle who a number of years ago saw an eight-legged spider in his laundry room. He decided that the best way to rid himself of the spider was to shoot it with spray paint and ignite it with a flame. And, of course, the inevitable happened. He torched the laundry room incurred $40,000 of fire damage to his home and another $20,000 of damage 
to the contents of his home that either needed repair or replacement. Moral of the story, don't use fire to eradicate bugs. As one, new, one news commentator sarcastically noted about the event in Seattle, nobody can confirm that the spider survived or not. So basically, this spider could have gotten out alive and then watched the house burn from the safety of a nearby tree, laughing maniacally. Indeed, fear makes us do irrational and unwise things. While fear might keep us from some dangers, like from stepping out on the ledge of a high building, most often our fears are not a benefit to us and are not a help to us. Our fears lead us to do foolish things, irrational things, ungodly things. We see that today, don't we? COVID-19 is not only a pandemic physically, We might also say that COVID-19 is a pandemic of fear. We see, we see the extension and the expansion of fear in multitude of ways in these days. Never have so many fears been exposed with so many, um, irrational, ungodly behaviors. And so the, the biblical admonition, do not fear which is given some 160 times in Scripture, seems to be particularly appropriate in these days. And while it is wise and while it is appropriate not to be fearful, it is also wise and appropriate to be fearful. Fearful in a different kind of sense than most of what we're seeing in these days. There's a good kind of fear to cultivate. There is a wise kind of fear to cultivate. It's this kind of fear that the writer to the Proverbs speaks about in verse 7 of his first chapter. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There is a right kind of fear, and it is the fear of God. We might summarize What Solomon says this way, all men are tempted to fear. The wise man pursues a fear of Yahweh. All men are tempted to fear. All men have an innate yearning, desire, compulsion to fear. But the only kind of fear that is an appropriate kind of fear in this context is a fear of Yahweh, a fear of God. As Solomon expands this truth, he is going to give us two primary principles about fear, two principles about fear in which we honor God in heaven. And the first is given to us at the beginning of verse 7. There is a kind of fear that pleases God. There is a kind of fear that pleases God. And we want to ask a number of questions about this text to help us to understand what kind of fear pleases God. The first question is, who should fear God? Who should fear God? And here we're talking about the subject of the fearers of God. That is, that is, who is the person, who's the subject that should fear God? Now notice that Solomon is speaking, but he is speaking to a particular person, and he tells us who he's speaking to in verse 8. He says, hear my son, 
your father's instruction. So Solomon is speaking not just in this chapter, but throughout his book to his son and then later to his sons. He's giving instruction to the son. He's giving wisdom to the son for how the son might live life in a way that honors God. This is about about wise living. And he's not speaking to us directly, but the application is clear. This is the kind of wisdom that any father might give to any kind of son. This is this is all men's wisdom to all sons. This is this is wisdom for everyone. This is this is a wise way for all people to live. And while verse 7 is not an imperative, he doesn't say fear the Lord. It is it is given with the sense of an imperative. So this is a declaratory statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yet there is a sense in which we understand him to be saying, son, you need to fear the Lord because only when you fear the Lord will you begin to have wisdom for living. And further, we understand from this verse that every person falls into one of two categories. He is either a fearer of the Lord or he is not a fearer of the Lord. We are either those who fear God or we are those who do not fear God. We are those who orient our lives around God. We are theocentric. Or we are those who orient our lives around man and our circumstances and our lives. We are anthropocentric. We either have a high view of God or we have a high view of man. We are God-fearers or we are non-God-fearers. When we say these things, what we are really saying is that the fear of God is a worldview. As one writer says, it is a worldview. It is, it is the grid through which we perceive, arrange, understand, interpret, and interact with the world. And what is a worldview without a viewer? In other words, we have this worldview, and so it is we who must be fearers of God. We are the subject that must be the fearers of God. And we are the ones who are interpreting the world in some way, and we need to learn to interpret the world in the way that God sees it with God at the center of the world. In fact, Paul will use this basic argument on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. Remember what he says, Acts chapter 17, verse 30? Let me just remind you, of what he says on Mars Hill. He says, verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent. So all people everywhere should repent of looking at the world the way they want it, pursuing their desires and their sinful yearnings and longings. They should repent of that and turn to God. Notice what he says in verse 31. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So he says, you should be one who repents of sin, turns to God. And why should you do that? Because, verse 31, he says, God is coming to judge. In other words, you need to turn from being self-centered and self-focused and turn to worshiping God because of a fear of God. You need to be a God-fearer and what and fearing what God is coming to do. So who should fear God? Well, Solomon should. 
Well, Solomon's son should. All men should fear God. And friends, you and I should be God-fearers. Who should fear God? We should fear God. A second question to ask of this text is who or what should be feared? And here we're talking about the object of our fear. So on what does our fear terminate? What, what are we looking towards when we are fearful? Solomon says there is a particular kind of fear that is right. There's a kind of fear that, that pleases God. And, and it is the fear that has Him as our object. We aren't fearful in general. We are fearful in particular. We're laser focused in our fear and our laser focus is on the Lord. The one who should receive our fear, notice what he says is, the fear of the Lord. And, and the way that phrase is translated here is translated in almost every single English text in the same way. It is the fear of the Lord. One, one exception um, is the old American standard version, and it says the fear of Jehovah. I only have one copy of one translation in English that translates it really the way Solomon wrote, wrote it and the way I think it should be translated. The American Standard Version, the, the fear of Jehovah gets close, but a better way to translate it is simply to say the fear of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Is it important to make this distinction between the fear of the Lord and the fear of Yahweh? It is. The name that is used here, and and you may see it in in your text as you look at the text, that word Lord um, may be in your translation as it is in mine in, in small capital letters. And that is denoting that it is not the word Lord in the Hebrew text, but it is actually the name for God, Yahweh. And the distinction that we want to make here is that, is that the word Lord is a title. It's a position. It's, it's, it's what God does in heaven, but it is not His name. His name, as He reveals it to the nation of Israel, is Yahweh. That's the name that He used with Moses. Remember Exodus chapter 3, when He reveals Himself to Moses at the burning bush. He, and Moses asks, who should I tell you, or who should I tell Israel that you are? And he says, you should tell them I am that I am. He reveals himself to Moses by this name. When he makes covenants with the, na- with the nation of Israel, when he makes contracts with the nation of Israel, he signs those contracts, those covenants with this name, Yahweh. Over 6,800 times in the Old Testament, God makes His name known to Israel and He makes His name known as Yahweh. And, and that name, as I've already intimated, comes from the Hebrew word um, to be. That is, that, that God is, that He exists, that He is eternally existent and that He is faithful as the eternally existent God. He is faithfully existent. He is the one, as one writer says, who is presently faithful. And this is a reminder, when He reveals Himself to us by this name, that we are commanded to have fear of one with whom we have a relationship. 
He is not saying we need to fear him because of his position, though, though that's also true. But he says we are to fear him because of who he is and how he has revealed himself to us and how we have relationship with him. We have interaction with him. We have fellowship with him. We have relationship with him. And we should fear him within that context. Now, let me, let me just see if I can demonstrate this for you. There is a massive distinction between these two sentences. You should, you should get to know women and the sentence, you should get to know my wife, Regine. Though those two sentences have vastly different impacts and influences. When I say, you should get to know my wife, Regine, I'm talking about you should get to know the woman who is the most beautiful woman in the world, who is a treasure to me, who is a delight to me, who is, who is self-sacrificing and who is, who is a servant and who is a wise counselor and who is an outstanding gardener and, and who loves to give to her children. You need to get to know the particular woman who is my wife, Regine. When I mention her by name, I'm not talking about women in general. I'm talking about her in particular. And when God says, you should fear me, and he reveals himself to us in that name, he wants us not to fear in general the Godhead. He wants us to fear, to revere to worship Him in His revealed name particularly. You know what's ironic? Is that God reveals Himself to the nation of Israel more than 6,800 times by this name, Yahweh. And Israel was so, so fearful of misusing that name that they refused to pronounce that name and they instead pronounced the title Adonai, the title Lord, instead of using the word Yahweh. But God has told them, this is my name. This is how you should know me. And brothers and sisters, that is whom we must know is God, the personal God, who is designed to have relationship and fellowship with us. The only one that we should fear is Yahweh. The next question then is, What is it to fear Yahweh? What what does it mean when we say we should have fear of Yahweh? What's interesting is that the book of Proverbs is particularly about this very truth. We find the fear of Yahweh at the beginning of the book. That's chapter 1, verse 7. It's the the verse that's drawing our attention this morning. And it is is in the last chapter, in the next-to-last verse. Listen to what... The writer says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. So Solomon, as the father, speaks to his son in the first chapter and says, you must fear Yahweh. And in the last chapter, speaking about the godly wife, he says, the one that fears Yahweh, that's the one that is to be praised. From the beginning of the book to the end of the book, the book is about the fear of Yahweh. And in between, there are 16 more references to the fear of Yahweh. In fact, almost half or about half of the references in all of the Old Testament 
to fearing Yahweh are given in this book. And so it's easy to come to this book and say, well, this is a book about wisdom. That's in chapters 1 to 9. And then it's a book about all kinds of applications of wisdom in chapters 10 through verse th- and through chapter 31. A bunch of different miscellaneous ways that wisdom is applied. Friends, this isn't a book about miscellaneous items of, of wisdom. This is a book about how the fear of Yahweh transcends, overarches over every aspect of our lives. This is a book about how to fear Yahweh in every aspect of our lives. What does it mean to fear Yahweh? There are really two main fears of Yahweh. There is, first of all, an emotional response of, of shaking and dread and, and terror and, and abject fear. We, we find something like that even, even at the very beginning of the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 3, um, it says in verse 10 that when Adam, that when Adam heard God calling him, he said, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He had sinned and he was terrified of what God would do in response to that. And that, that sense runs all through the Old Testament. There are many illustrations of that kind of the fear of Yahweh in the Old Testament. We even find that in the New Testament as well in Luke chapter 12. And we've alluded to this a couple of times in recent weeks. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, verse 4, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. There ought to be a terror, an absolute fear that, that doesn't just, that doesn't just make us a little bit uneasy that ought to go to the pit of our stomach, to the very center of our being, that makes us respond in abject horror that God can cast us into hell. That's, that's a kind of fear that, that we ought to have of Yahweh. It is this kind of fear, actually, that even keeps the believer from sin. Notice what God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. God wants Adam and Eve to be fearful so that that of, of what he might do in response to their sins so that they will be kept from sin. We, we find a similar kind of truth in Psalm 119, verse 120. The psalmist says, My flesh trembles in fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I am afraid of, of what your scriptures say and how I might not meet them. I am terrified of what you might do in response to my disobedience. Friends, an understanding of of God's hatred of sin, His judgment against sin, His wrath against sinners, 
is good for us because it keeps us from sin. Is it appropriate to fear God in this way? Says the theologian John Murray, yes. Listen to what he says. It is the essence of impiety not to be afraid of God when there is reason to be afraid of God. There is a time and a season when it is appropriate to fear God. So one one response to God that is appropriate is an emotional shaking or dread or terror of God. Another response, a second response, is a response of, of humble awe and worship that is subservient to and obedient to and dependent on Yahweh. So, so we have a, a reverent awe of God, a, a revere of Him, a, a worship of Him. We see that in Isaiah chapter 6, right? When Isaiah is before the throne of God, he sees his sin, and at the same time he sees his sin, he is worshiping God and adoring Him. We see, we see something similar in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 4. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Um, the disciples had been out on the lake and they hadn't gotten any fish to catch. And Jesus is on the shore and he tells them, uh, Peter put, or Simon put the nets down on the other side of the boat. And Simon answered verse 5 and says, Master, we've worked hard all night. We've caught nothing. I will do as you say, though, and I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break so that they signaled their partners in the other boat for them both to come and help them. And they came and, and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. So, so they've been skunked. In fishing all night long. They haven't caught a thing. Jesus says, oh, the problem is that you haven't been fishing from the right side of the boat. Fish from the other side of the boat. In other words, God is sending, Christ is sending fish to the other side of the boat. The disciples think that seems kind of odd, but if Jesus said to do it, that's what we'll do it. They let down the nets and they get this massive catch of fish. And how does Peter respond? Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw that, He fell down at Jesus' feet. What's that? That's worship. That's adoration. That's a recognition of who Jesus Christ is. And then notice what he says. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Then notice verse 9 as well. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. They, They caught the fish. They realized who Christ was. They had an exalted view of Him and they worshipped Him. And even while they worshipped Him, they understood He is exalted and we are not. We are lowly. We are far beneath Him. We are sinful and He is not. And there is a vast difference between us and Him. We must worship Him. Friends, friends, that is a, a massive component of our fear of God. It is, it is a reverential worship of Him, delight in Him, recognition of who He is as the exalted God. And there is with that as well a desire for God so that even while we recognize that He's exalted, we still want to be with Him. So think about Moses, Exodus chapter 3, that he sees the burning bush God tells him, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. And even while he recognizes 
that that's a theophany, that that's, that that's a demonstration of the pre-incarnate Christ, that that's a, that's a recognition of who God is, that that's a, that's a revelation of God's greatness, God's glory, the God's grandeur. He is still drawn to it. He doesn't run from it in terror, but he runs to it so that he might worship. There is then as part of our fear of God, reverential awe, there is desire for God, and then there is submission to God and obedience to Him. We find this repeatedly as Proverbs unfolds for us what it means to fear God. Consider chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, if you fear Yahweh, you will turn away from evil. You will turn away from sin. Chapter 8, verse 13 says something similar. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. So if we fear God, we will hate evil. We will hate sin. We will turn away from sin. Chapter 16, verse 6 says something similar. By loving kindness and truth, inequity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. When we fear the Lord, when we, when we worship Him, we are kept from evil, we are obedient to Him. The fear of the Lord is a sense that there is something wrong. The fear of Yahweh says there's something wrong with us that God is so far exalted above us, and yet we want Him. We want to go to Him. We want to worship Him. We want to be like Him. We want to serve Him, and we want to be obedient to Him. If you combine these two, two ideas about what fear of Yahweh is, you have a dreadful, terror, terrified fear that drives you away from God, or... You have an awful, humble worship, an awful meaning a full of awe, humble worship that draws you to God as the object of our awe. As someone has noted, the one thing that fear of the Lord does not allow is indifference to God. Anyone who can think of God and shrug is not thinking of the God of Scripture. So let's summarize what it means to fear Yahweh for the believer. To fear Yahweh is to worship Him by delighting in Him and obeying Him. We want His fellowship and we want to serve Him. Friends, the correction to our ungodly fears is to cultivate a godly fear of the one who has fellowship and relationship with us, and that is Yahweh. Listen to what Albert Martin in his outstanding book, The Forgotten Fear, writes. Do you know why you are fearful of circumstances and different and indifferent to God? It is because you do not live life with the fear of God before your eyes. You look at life as nothing more than one extended opportunity to pursue what will please you. What your lusts dictate, you do. What your desires and appetites crave, you pursue. The fear of God, 
that controlling sense of His majesty and holiness and the profound reverence that it draws forth is nothing to you. No part of it dwells in you. And if that is the case with you, my friend, may God by His Spirit teach you the fear of the Lord before it is too late. Oh, friends, too many around us and perhaps too many of us too often particularly in these past weeks, have been too fearful about all the wrong things. We have, desired, we have desired finances and we have desired health and we have desired life and we have desired normalcy and we have desired relationship and we, we have desired a vast number of things and when we have not been able to achieve them, we have responded with ungodly fear. And, we, and, and we've responded with irrational fear. And so we've done things like gone to the grocery store and bought out potatoes and toilet paper and a, and a, and a host of other things. And friends, all those things have tell us, told us every time you see empty shelves, you can say someone has replaced a fear of God with a reverential worship of those things and what those things can give them. And those will never satisfy to get rid of those fears, to get rid of the fears of death, to get rid of the fear of a loss of finances, to get rid of a fear of a falling stock market, we need to cultivate a godly fear of Yahweh. What happens when we fear Yahweh? That's the last question here. What happens when we fear Yahweh? There is a result that we receive from fearing Yahweh. And And Solomon tells us what that is. Verse 7, end of the first line, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That that word knowledge uh, is, is a word that has the idea of not just information, but it has the idea of discernment. It has the idea of of clarity. It has the idea of understanding and insight. And it's used in parallel to the word in the second line, wisdom and instruction. All those words, knowledge, wisdom, instruction, are used synonymously. And, the, and, and Solomon would have us to understand that when, when we fear Yahweh, then we will have wisdom for living and wisdom for life. Can I just, can I just offer a suggestion? How do, you, how do you fill in that first line? How do you... How do you think about life? What are the things that move you towards fear? Fear of fill in the blank. Whatever you are fearful of is the thing which you are saying, this will give me wisdom. This will, this will give me understanding about how to live life. And Solomon is telling us nothing except the fear of Yahweh will give you understanding with how to fear life or how to live life. We start to get wisdom. We get a future. We are not cut off from Yahweh when we fear Him. He uses His personal name with us to remind us that we have relationship with Him. We have fellowship with Him. We have intimacy with Him. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18 tells us that when we fear Him, we will get Him. We will not lose him and friends when we fear Yahweh then all of our other fears will dissipate listen to what 
Solomon says in 29.25. In 29.25, he says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. When you, when you fear man, when you fear life, when you fear circumstances, when you fear COVID-19, when you fear falling stock markets, that will bring a snare. But when you trust the Lord, that will bring freedom. Friend, the way out of those other fears is to immerse yourself in a fear of Yahweh. And friend, if you do not fear Yahweh today, if you do not fear the Lord today, if you do not fear God today, if you do not fear Christ today, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would urge you and compel you, let today be the day when you take that that terrorizing fear of what God can do in casting you into hell and turn that through repentance and faith into a trust of Him that leads you to fear Him with reverential awe that leads you to submit to Him and obey Him in all things. There is a kind of fear that pleases God, and it is the fear of Yahweh. There is likewise a kind of fear that dishonors God, and it's given to us in the second line, and that is um, that is a fear that does not terminate on God. Who are the people who don't fear God? Notice Notice what Solomon says. Fools are the ones who despise wisdom and instructions. In, in opposition to God-fearers, there's only one category of people, and those are fools. And uh, Solomon uses three different words for the fool in the book of Proverbs. And this particular word that he uses in this instance is, is one that, that we might translate, he is thick-headed, he is, he is dense, but he's not speaking particularly of his intellectual incapacity. He is talking instead about one who is morally deficient and one who has made ungodly choices and, and is pridefully hardened in his choices. He is sinful, he is corrupt, he is rebellious against God. He has not only chosen unwisely, but he has also flaunted his choices. He is insolent. He is disrespectful. He is brazen against God. Listen to what, listen to what Proverbs 27, 22 says. Though you pound a fool in a mortar and with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. One, one commentator has translated the verse this way. You can beat him like a bongo drum and grind him like pepper, but he will stay just as morally and spiritually dense, barring a miracle. Oh, friend, this is, this is the one who is a fool. He is, he is captivated by his sin. He runs to his sin and he repudiates, he rejects God. He does not want God. He wants his sin so he will not repent. He wants his sin above anything else, no matter what it costs him, and he does not want God. When you see a fearful person, and just a side note, isn't it a grace that God is using COVID-19 to reveal to us all of our fears and the fears of all those around us? And when we see fear in ourselves, 
when we see fear in other people, we can know that we are looking at someone who is a rebel against God, who has set his heart and his affections on desires that are opposed to God, and he will not give in to repentance. He will not, he will not bow the knee to God. He does not want to follow God. He will attempt to replace God with his own idols that cannot satisfy. And he is fearful because that idol, that object of worship is either being taken away or has been taken away. And he realizes that now he is destitute and he is angry. He is disconsolate. He is fearful because that which he has wanted cannot satisfy and he cannot have it. And friends, what he needs What he needs is what you and I need, and that is a fear of Yahweh. Who is the one who doesn't fear Yahweh? He is the fool. He is the one who is morally deficient, who is is ensconced in his sin. What do people who don't fear Yahweh do? What, what, What are the activities and the actions of those who don't fear Yahweh? What are their attitudes? Well, Proverbs tells us, Many things that non-fearers do. He goes to the adulteress. He babbles with his words and lies. He spreads slander. He is angry. He runs to evil. He rejects discipline. He has perverse speech. Like a dog returning to his vomit, he repeats his folly and his sinful actions. But, but this verse focuses on one dominant attitude that the fool, the ungodly man cultivates. And notice what it says. He despises wisdom. He despises God and he despises wisdom. To despise wisdom is is to be contemptuous against it. It is, it is to ridicule Yahweh. It is to ridicule his wisdom. He has no place for God's wisdom in his life. The fool is disinterested with God and God's will and he will do anything he can to remove God from his life. A number of years ago, I I acquired a book entitled The Long War Against God. And that is an apt picture of what the fool does against God. He does everything he can to remove God from his life. And And friends, that doesn't mean that he's unintelligent. He may be intelligent. He may have intellectual capacity. He may be, as Psalm 107 tells us, he may be one who understands how to sail a ship and he may understand the value and the benefit of taking goods from one location across the sea to selling them in another location and he may be able to do that to much profit and he he may understand the, the winds that blow and how to use those winds in order to get his ship from one end of the sea to the other end of the sea. But friends, he does not understand the God who is behind behind the sea and behind the winds and behind the ability to to grow uh, crops and to to sell crops and and to give a mind to to understand financial dealings he doesn't understand anything about god in that sense and the world in that sense and he rejects god he he doesn't in a word understand life he he knows how to make a profit but he doesn't understand anything about the way life really works. What do people do when they don't fear God? 
they will despise God. They will reject Him. They will repudiate Him. They will do all that they can to walk away from Him. There's a third question to ask. What happens when people don't fear Yahweh? What are the results of this ungodly fear? Well, this this particular verse doesn't tell us what happens with ungodly fear, but, but other scriptures do. And just in brief, what the other scriptures tell us is that he will reap what he sows. He will, he will gather the consequences of a life that has rejected Yahweh. He will suffer the consequences of rebelling against God. He will not get the idol that he desires and he will not get God and he will suffer for his rebellion. He will, he will run up a bill against God that he cannot pay. Listen to what Solomon says in 1313. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. If you fear Yahweh, you'll be rewarded. If you don't fear Yahweh, you will have a debt that is insurmountable for you to pay. You cannot pay the debt that you will incur against God if you do not fear Him. There may be debt for these people to pay on earth. There will be eternal debt to pay after this life is over. And friends, that debt is unpayable. You can't pay it. There's, there's not enough time in eternity to pay for the debt of sin and rebellion against God. But there's always hope. That's one reason I read earlier this morning the end of this chapter. Listen to what wisdom says to the, these who are fools and these who are naive. Verse 22, chapter 1, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. How long will you persist in this? Then listen to what she says in verse 23. Turn to my reproof. What's that? That's repentance. And behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. There, there is an opportunity for you to repent. There is an opportunity for you to turn to God and He will forgive. He will cleanse. He will wipe away sin. Oh friend, if you are one who has not feared God, if you are one who is walking in rebellion against God, listen to what the psalmist says, Psalm 130 verse 4, There is forgiveness with you so that you may be feared. There is forgiveness of you so that you can be feared not as one who will pour out his wrath, but one who is feared with reverence, with worship, with delight, with submission and obedience to him. And friend, if you are not, if you are not a God fearer in that way, a worshiper of God, I encourage you, I exhort you, I compel you. Would you turn to him in repentance and faith today? to trust Him to forgive you of your sin of fearing everything else and not fearing Him. And He will forgive. Let me just finish up by asking a couple of questions. What are some ways that we can cultivate a godly fear of God, of Yahweh? What are some ways that we can cultivate a godly fear of Yahweh? 
First, spend time in and saturate your mind with Scripture. The psalmist in Psalm 119.38 reminds us, Establish your word to your servant, 119.38, as that which produces reverence or fear for you. It is the word of God that produces fear. Fear of God, worship of God, understanding of who God is so that we submit to Him, so that we see Him as high and exalted, comes through an understanding of Him revealed in His Word. So fill your mind, saturate your mind with the Scriptures. And and can I just give you a word of encouragement? I know that we are being bombarded by information about COVID-19. Can I just encourage you to not respond to every notification that you get on your phone? Can I encourage you maybe even to turn off notifications so that you don't go to those things? Can I encourage you that when you get up in the morning that the first thing you do is not turn on the television to your favorite news channel, but instead you take your copy of the Scriptures, TV off, open the Scriptures, and saturate your mind with a God who is worthy of worship and forget all of these other things that have no place for fear in our lives. Spend time in and saturate your mind with Scripture. Then secondly, repent of every known sin as quickly as you can. The non-fearer delights in sin and runs to it. The fearer of Yahweh runs to God and runs away from his sin. And even as we've been just reminded, Psalm 130 verse 4, the very object of fearing God, the the means by which rather we fear God is by cultivating forgiveness. So friend, can I just encourage you that when you sin, as often as you sin, go immediately, quickly to repenting of that sin and then delight in the freedom of obedience. Friend, sin isn't freedom. Sin is enslavement. If if you've got nothing else out of the book of Romans, I, I hope you've seen that. That there's no freedom in sin. Sin only enslaves. And Christ gives us freedom. There's freedom and joy and satisfaction and delight in being obedient to Him. Of what are you fearful today? Are you fearful of spiders? Are you fearful of loss of money? Are you fearful of loss of health? Are you fearful of loss of life, of loss of relationships, of loss of normalcy, of being able to to go to your favorite stores or engage in your favorite activities when you want and according to your schedule? What are you fearful of today? Are you fearful of your circumstances? Or are you fearful of Yahweh? Friends, there's only one legitimate fear in our lives, and that is to fear Yahweh. Fear Him and all other fears will fade away. The message for today is not simply don't fear, do not fear. There's an appropriate time for that kind of message. We heard that last week from the lips of Jesus in John 14. But today is a day to hear the message, do not fear these small circumstances by learning to fear the only one who is worthy of our worship, our adoration, our delight, and that is God in heaven. So friends, be fearful to the glory of God. Our Father, we thank you for this simple reminder from Solomon some 3,000 years ago 
And what was true for Solomon and Solomon's son is true as well for us. Might we learn the delights of fearing you and you alone for your glory. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.